One of the um, one of the, one of the uh, um, trips Ginny and I have planned. Uh, we're planning on doing it at a year from now. Actually, about a year from now, we are planning on uh, driving down Route 66. Uh, it goes from Chicago to some place in California, and we just you know we just thought it would be kind of fun. We enjoy doing drives for. Uh, trips for vacations. We did the Blue Ridge Parkway one time. From the north, it starts in Ohio and ends down in uh, North Carolina, I believe it is. Uh, we drove that, and it's just it's fun. You know, we enjoy we enjoy that. Whenever we do a vacation outside of our family vacation, when we do our family vacation, we all go one place and we're all together, and that's kind of a neat thing, a neat gift from God, really. And when we do a vacation, just the two of us. What we often do is we will pick a place and we'll head towards that place. And as we're doing it, we stop on the way and we, you know, we, we just, you know, do different things uh, as we're going and see what's there. Uh, when we mentioned to somebody that we were going to do this trip on Route 66, they bought a book for us and gave it to us. And we've been flipping through it a little bit. Uh, and, and it lays out different ways you can do it. Now, when I say different ways, it's really different timelines. Uh, that, you know, you can do this in a week. I can't imagine doing it in a week. Uh, but, you know, or you can do it. They stretch it out, I think, even to a, a month or a couple of months or something like that. Um, and we thought, well, that, you know, that'd be kind of fun. We like to drive, stop along the way, stop at places that seem interesting to us, you know, as, as we're going. Um, you know, and we, we slow down at various spots. We look for local places to eat. I can eat at McDonald's anywhere. I mean, I, at home, I don't have to, I'm not going to do that when I'm out on, on, uh, on vacation and you know sometimes well we've always enjoyed the places we stopped certainly some more than others but uh, it's always been interesting we, we stop we look we learn some things as we slow down um, and what we're going to do next year is we are going to just travel that way and get as far as we can in two weeks three maybe if the uh, board is fine with me being gone for three weeks but we'll see anyway the uh, that's by priming the pump there for him anyhow the um uh, uh you know and then what we're going to do is in 2024 we're going to drive back and pick up wherever we left off and we're going to go a little bit further down you know down the road and just see that that's just kind of how we're planning now why am i telling you this i'm telling you this because um We've been on a trip through Colossians. And as we're going on this trip through Colossians on Sunday, some weeks we don't get very far. Uh, but I do hope that you're enjoying the journey. I hope you're learning something. I hope, you know, that God is, is uh, ministering to you. Well, he, get, he gets, you know, sometimes he gets our attention and we linger a little longer. Um, and that, that's kind of what we've been doing. Let's pray and we're going to pick up where we left off. Uh, last week. Father, thank you for a time to be able to look into your word. And um, sometimes even when we slow down, we're hurrying through it. We don't ever want to hurry. Well, I was going to say hurry you. We're not going to hurry you. What we do is hurry our time with you and we hurry ourselves. And you're, you're there waiting, wondering, um, well, wondering, watching us. And sometimes... We're foolish, and we don't want to do that. We don't want to be that way. So teach us from your word. Help us to grasp a hold of it. Help us to um, pay attention to you as we look into your word again this morning. Uh, Minister to our hearts. We need that. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. 
So we're going to be in Colossians chapter 1. You want to turn there if you're using a pew Bible. It's page 1084. Uh, Colossians chapter 1. Uh, last week we made it through verse 18. So we're picking up at verse 19. We stopped and lingered for a bit on verse 18. Uh, today I plan to get through verses 19 and 20. Twice as far as we did last week. Uh, so anyway, we'll see. And to help us with the context, though, I'm going to start reading again at verse 15. Because verse 15 through 20 really uh, pull together. Uh, very nicely, and it's it's a part that I, I mentioned to you before that some feel that it's it was quite possibly a church hymn or a church confession that they used, uh, but God used Paul to include that in the inspired scripture, so that's that's the word that he wants for us. So anyway, begin with verse 15, uh, Colossians chapter 1, follow along, verse 15. It says, He is the image, speaking of Christ, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn, over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him, to reconcile everything to himself by making peace through the blood of the cross, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Now, uh, two weeks ago, we looked at verses 15 through 17, and we saw that Jesus is God. Now, that seems pretty clear to me from these verses. It tells us that he is the creator. It tells us that he was before all things. You know, the, the, the one who is the creator has to be before all things. I mean, you think about that. That's the only way that works. You can't create something before you are. Uh, so he, you know, but he was there, you know, and, and again, in the beginning, it tells us that in, in the beginning of Genesis, it tells us that in the beginning of John, in the beginning, you know, in the beginning was God, you know, and he was God and he was there. So you have that, that he was before all things, you know, he's, he's the creator. Uh, it, it tells us all about that. Uh, last week we looked at verse 18 and we saw that Jesus is our head. You know, he is the leader. He is the one who gives life, you know, as the, as the head. He is the one who brings all of the parts of the body together. He is the one, you know, that, that makes, you know, the, the church gives us life, gives us purpose, gives us direction. Now, if you want more on both of those, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't, you can either ask the guys in back. They'll make you a copy of the last two weeks. Or you can listen online and that'll fill those in a little bit more for you. So last week I gave you the uh, conclusion up front. I'm going to do that again this week. Uh, you know, and the conclusion, you know, uh, right, right there for you. He brings us peace with God. Uh, there's the conclusion. Now when I say with God, you know, that he, he gives us, brings us peace with God, uh, that includes himself. You know, that includes himself. It was very interesting to me to sit in Sunday school class this morning and listen because uh, much of what we talked about, you know, in Dean's Sunday school class this morning, uh, you know, is, is touching on some of the things that we're hitting in the sermon today. And, and this was part of it, you know, the, the, you know the, the Trinity there. One God and three persons, you know, three persons making up one God. Uh, you know, it's, it is not three different manifestations of God. That's modalism and that's a heresy. Uh, modalism says that Jesus, that Jesus, oh, no, no, no. Let me start over. Modalism says that God appears sometimes as the Father, and sometimes he appears as Jesus, and sometimes he appears as the Holy Spirit. 
that's modalism, though, and that's, that's a heresy, that's false teaching, that is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches you know, a, 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 a trinity, and it's, while it's a difficult concept for us to grasp, and this sermon isn't on the trinity, we need to mention it because you know, of how it shows up here. The trinity, you know, here, here's a, a nice short definition for you. Uh, it's three distinct persons together being one God, who eternally exists in three equal, distinct, yet inseparable persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, you know, that, that again, books are written on this. You know, this is just one, um, not short, but not terribly long sentence uh, for you on, on what the Trinity is. You know, it's three distinct persons, but together they are one God. Uh, you know, and they exist eternally, you know, as God, you know, they've existed eternally in three equal, distinct, yet inseparable persons. You know, they're, while they're distinct, they're inseparable on there. Now, Picking up where we left off last Sunday, last Sunday, you know, we mentioned that we can and we should walk with Christ Jesus every day. You know, he's our head. As our head, we should be following him every day. And here today, picking up in verse 19, notice what it says, for, you know, or because we could say, you know, because God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Here we go again. It pulls us back into what we saw in verses 15, 16, 17, you know, that he is God. It takes us back to the to those verses and notice what it says here all the fullness you know to have all the fullness the sum total of his essence is what's talked about there all the perfection all the powers all the attributes of god god was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him so there is absolutely nothing of god missing in christ jesus Absolutely nothing of God is missing because he is God. You know, Jesus Christ is completely and fully God. All of the attributes of God are found in him. All of the powers of God are found in him. All of the characteristics of God are found in him. The complete personality of God is found in him. He is God. You know, he is God completely and fully God. You know, not not a lesser God, not uh, you know an afterthought God. He is completely and fully God. I like the way the Amplified Bible uh, translates this verse. It puts it this way: It says, "For it pleased the Father, for all the fullness of deity, the sum total of His essence, all His perfection, powers, and attributes, to dwell permanently in Him." In, in the in the Son, in Christ, you know, the, the Amplified Bible just it, it it puts in some it expands on some of the words. That's why you see the the brackets and things there. It's where it's expanding on the meaning of some of those words. Um, you know, but I like the way they put it. Now, you know, the the verse says, you know, God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell. Dwell. That word means to dwell. To settle, you know, to inhabit, to settle permanently. What it speaks here is uh, of the indwelling, you know, of the totality of the attributes and powers of God. 
you know, the, all the attributes and powers of God that God had dwell and reside in Christ. Now, we can say this about any member of the Godhead, but here he's talking about Jesus. You know, Jesus has been, you know, he, he has been totally and completely God. Always. He always has been. He didn't become this. He didn't become this. He has always been this. You know, he was never missing any any part of God. Now, Scripture talks in Philippians. It talks about you know that he that he had um, set aside is how some of the translations worded that he chose not to use some of those attributes while he was here on this earth. You know, while he was here, but he still retained them. He still was totally God. Is totally God. There you have you know, and it's a whole other theological thing. You know, on on. You know the 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 the, uh, the hypostatic union, the the the, the joining together of, of the fully human and yet fully God. Uh, but, but you know here you know, it speaks of the indwelling of those total of the total attributes of God. Nothing is missing. Now this is part of the mystery of the Trinity, but it is also part of the clarity of the Trinity. You know, it, it's while it's part of that mystery, it's also part of the clarity there. You know, one God in three persons, three persons in one God. Not three gods, it's one indivisible God, one inseparable God, one undividable God. They used to develop creeds to make a clearer stand on on different positions. The Nicene Creed was put together uh, by early church councils, you know, as they came together and they talked about theological things and uh, tried to help people understand the Trinity. Uh, they, as they faced many heresies, it came at a time where there were a lot of heresies which denied either the deity of Christ or the deity of the Holy Spirit. And the Nicene Creed, uh, you know, the, the Council of Nicaea came together and pulled together this creed. Another thing that a creed does and did um, is it helps those everyone d- didn't read like they do today? Well, see, there's a misstatement because everyone doesn't read today even. Uh, but you know, they, as they would say these creeds, uh, they they would be able to to be more firm in their beliefs uh, and in their understanding. Um, you know, so the, the Nicene Creed is, is one of those, and it makes this statement. It, it brings clarity, uh, you know, to that to the whole reality of, of the Trinity. You know, where it, it affirms the deity of, of of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know, all three. Uh, being God, I, I want what I'd, I'd like you to do. I'd like you to read this together with me. All right, out loud. I'll, you know, you, you just follow along. We sometimes have trouble with this as you know as a group, but don't worry, it, it, it'll work. So read it together with me. Ready? Here we go. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father. Through Him all things were made. For us and for our salvation He came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. 
The third day he rose again, according to the scriptures. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son. And with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. He spoke through the prophets. We believe in one holy, universal, and apostolic church. We affirm one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life in the world to come. Amen. You know, see, this is what he's talking about. For God was pleased to have all all of his fullness dwell in him. Every single thing necessary to be God is found in Christ Jesus as a permanent part, a permanent feature of his being. Nothing left out. Nothing was missing and added later. He was, is, and always will be God. You know, has always been fully God along with the Father and along with the Holy Spirit. One God, one essence, together being one, eternally, you know, exists in three equal, distinct, yet inseparable persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And verse 20 goes on, it says, And through Him to reconcile everything to Himself. All of the translations, at least all of the major translations, um, use the word reconcile. That's because the word very clearly means to reconcile. But we lose some of the impact sometimes, you know, in in translation. And, you know, we often lose the impact, uh, you know, of any original language when we translate it into another language. Um, You know, for example, um, you know, hot dog is a butcher word. And, you know, it actually means vile, disgusting little tube of of, anyway. you know, but we, we, you know, the, the word the word means you know to reconcile completely, uh, to reconcile back again, to bring back to a former state of harmony. This is what the word means. Now, to get a picture of what that state of harmony, you know, that that we that we you know are, are, are to bring back that former state of harmony, we have to go all the way back to Adam and Eve in the garden. You know, and in the garden, that relationship before before Genesis three six, before the the sixth verse of of, of Genesis three, where sin enters in, uh, you know, we get that picture of them you know, where they walked in the garden with God where they were both naked and felt no shame, where they lived in harmony with God and with each other, and they lived in harmony with all creation. And what we see happen there, you know, is then they chose to sin. In in chapter 3, verse 6, you know, and a few following, we, we see where they chose to sin. They chose to disobey God. They chose to put themselves first and put their desires ahead of God and what God had told them. They set their own standard. You see, that's what we're doing when we're sinning. We're setting our own standard we say god i'm doing this I, you know i'm calling and so they set their own standard and that harmony that they had that harmony they had 
you know, with each other, that harmony they had with nature, that harmony that they had with God, all were destroyed. The harmony between man and God was destroyed. In chapter 3, verse 16, it says, He said to the woman, I will intensify your labor pains. You will bear children in anguish. Your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. You see, that harmony that you had between husband and wife, that harmony that you had between man and woman was now, was now destroyed. Now had more than just a little wrinkle in it. It was no, that harmony was no longer there. The harmony between man and nature was destroyed. It goes on, it says, and he said to Adam, Because you listened to your wife's voice and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, do not eat from it. The ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by the means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. You will eat the the bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground since you were taken from it. For you are to dust and to dust you will return. You see, that harmony between man and woman was, was destroyed. That harmony between man and nature was destroyed. And that harmony between God and man was destroyed. It goes on. It says, so then the Lord God sent him away from the garden. That is a devastating change in relationship. The Lord sent him away from the garden where they walked together, where they spent time together, where they realized, boy, you know, in a, in a much fuller way than they would be able to after this point. Sent him away from the garden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove the man out and stationed the cherubim and the flaming whirling sword east of the Garden of Eden to guard the way to the tree of life. You see what we're told in verse 20 of Colossians 1, but through Christ... God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself. To reconcile, to, you know, completely reconcile, to reconcile back again, to bring back to a former state of harmony. Hebrews tells us, therefore, he is able to save completely. He is able to save completely those who come to God through Him because He always lives to intercede for them. We add nothing to what Christ has done. We add nothing. It is not, you know, that, that He was sacrificed and then we work and do that. We add nothing to what Christ has done. He was able to save what? Completely. Completely. Those who come to God through Him. That that relationship with Christ gives us this this completely restored, this completely reharmonized relationship with the Father. And the great gift is, He is still reconciling us to God. He is able to reconcile everything to Himself, those who come to God through Him. That's what he says. 
That's what the verse says, verse, verse 20. Those who come to God through him, you know, here, excuse me, you know, uh, in Hebrews here. Those who come to God through him. I haven't reached perfection yet. I still selfishly sin. Every one of us here still selfish, selfishly sins where we're putting ourselves and our own desires ahead of what God has said and ahead of what God has done for us. And just like Adam and Eve, we chase our own ideas and our own thoughts. And Jesus reconciled us to God. All three individuals in one God. And He still, He still reconciles us to God. 1 John 1.9 was written... To Christians. This wasn't John writing an evangelistic letter to those who didn't know Christ. This was the Gospel of John writing a letter to those who had a relationship with Christ, to those who knew about God, to those who, you know, who, who were very, very familiar with God and worshiping God. And as he's writing, he tells them these words that are very familiar to, to some of us, you know, but again, he's writing to Christians. If we confess our sins, Christian, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To cleanse us Christians from all unrighteousness. Why? Because he still reconciles us to God. Because when we, when we sin, we still come to Him for this reconciliation. You know, there's, that, that is a picture of reconciliation right there. Reestablishing that relationship. Removing the barriers between us and God. You know, and, and, and reestablishing what was destroyed because of sin. You know, in Christ Jesus reconciled us to God. All three members, all three members of our one God, it says, by making peace through the blood of His cross. Verse 20, by making peace through the blood of his cross. That's uniquely done, that is uniquely done by Jesus, you know, by, by the Son. It is uniquely done by him who, who, who became incarnate, who became incarnate just means, you know, enfleshment, that he, that he took on flesh, you know, in order to die for our sins. What we just remembered in communion, that his body was broken and his blood was shed. He became human to die on the cross for our sin. Remember John, the, the, the beginning of John chapter 1, verse 14. We've looked at this a couple of times over the last couple of weeks. The Word became flesh, took up His residence among us, and we observed His glory. The glory of the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, He became flesh. He, you know, he, he became incarnate. He, he took on flesh so He could take our sin upon Himself, and He willingly... He willingly chose to die on that cross. John chapter 10, Jesus says, This is why the Father loves me. Because I am laying down my life. So that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down and I have the right to take it up again. Because He's God. You see. Because He's God. I have received this command from my Father. First Peter chapter 2, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree, so that having died to sin, we might live for righteousness. You've been healed by His wounds.
He healed our relationship with God. Romans chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not something just in the future, but we have been declared righteous by... When we come to Christ, when we recognize that that body was broken, that blood was shed for us, when we come to... then we Right then, we have been declared righteous by God. Perfect? No. Righteous? Yes. By that gift of God. And we have peace with God. We have that harmony with God once again through what Christ has done. He brings peace. Now, He brings peace. He brings peace not as something, you know, that, I mean, that's what we, that, that, there was your conclusion for us. You know, it, it, but it's not as something He carries along with Himself and just drops off, you know, and just, you know, that He drops off, off peace on us. He Himself is our peace. Ephesians chapter 2. For He is our peace. He is our peace who made both groups one, tore down the dividing wall of hostility. In his flesh, he made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations so that he might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace. He brings us peace because Jesus is our peace. We need peace with God. We need peace with God. You know, so Jesus, God himself, part of our triune God, took on flesh, came to live among us. I like the, you know, <coughs> you know, John chapter 114 where he came to live among. He came and tabernacled among us. He came and lived among us. And he brings peace because he himself Jesus, God himself, is peace. And he is with us right now. Follow him. He is our peace. Kent, I'm wondering if after I pray we can sing Behold Him one more time. If you guys could all get in. Andy, if you could rack that up and get it ready for us. We sang that earlier, but what a great way to draw this message to a conclusion pray with me now father thank you thank you for the opportunity to be able to not just be together with each other that's a great gift but to be together with you to be reminded of what a holy god you are to be able to stop and look to be able to think once again of your gracious gift to us of yourself of salvation of new life Oh, Lord, we want to see you more clearly. We want to understand you more deeply. As we sing, and just let it be a reminder to us uh, to be drawn deeper into the reality of what a great, mighty, and gracious God and forgiving God you are. Amen.